Welcome to Story Shaped, the podcast about the stories that shape us and have the power to change the world. I'm Susan Cahill, debut children's author, and my co-host is the seasoned and wonderful children's author Sinead O'Hart. Together, we'll be taking you through some deep dives into the books that shaped us and interviewing other writers about their favourite and most influential stories. We hope you'll enjoy Story Shaped. Story Shaped people um, and welcome to another episode of Story Shaped. We've got another fantastic guest interview today and we're both delighted to welcome author E.R. Murray to the podcast. Um, Elizabeth is the author of four fantastic novels. She's got a middle grade fantasy adventure trilogy, the Nine Lives trilogy, which is just a wonderful story of reincarnation, intuition, roses, nature, all, all the good things. Um, and the first book in that trilogy, The Book of Learning, was the 2016 Dublin UNESCO Citywide Read for Children. The, the second and third books are called The Book of Shadows and Book of Revenge, which are all brilliant titles. Um, and she's also got a wonderful YA novel called Caramel Hearth, which, as well as being a heart-wrenching and heartwarming story, is structured around the most delicious sounding recipes. I haven't tried them yet, but I am dying to try those recipes. <laughs> Elizabeth has also created storytelling events, writing installations and performance pieces, and she teaches creative writing workshops. One of her most recent pieces that I read is a gorgeous essay, An Affinity with Bees, which is published in a book called Women on Nature, edited by Catherine Norbury. And that book is actually, it's a book that I keep going back to. It's full of treasures, just like Elizabeth's essay. And Elizabeth's essay, it's, it's my favourite kind of writing. Um, so that essay explores the ways in which nature, and in this case, bees, illuminate and reveal truths about your life and experience. But how the outside world mirrors the inside world. And so in this episode, we're really excited to learn what books in the outside world became mirrors to Elizabeth's insides. So welcome, Elizabeth. And hello, Sinead. How are you both? <laughs> Hi, Susan. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome. <laughs> Hi, um, it's good that this is a podcast because then you can't see me blushing. <laughs> so, <laughs> thanks so much for having me. <laughs> oh, we're, de we're delighted. I'm going to start with the question that we always ask everyone, which is, are you story shaped? I have to say, I've been listening to um, the previous podcasts and I just love this question so much. Um, and I've loved the different responses um, to it as well. Uh, I'm going to have to say like, absolutely 100% yes um and I'm probably going to make this sound really serious now well. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the answers have been quite like flippant and fun um but yeah I often say when I'm doing my workshops like with um children or teenagers you know I have to say like if I could live on books then I would if I could just I love food and I love travel and I love so many things in the world but if I could just live on books I would be quite happy that would like erase so much wasted time having to do other things um yeah and books and stories like genuinely changed my life um and I think like not just being a writer but in so many ways if it hadn't been for books and a love of reading that I wouldn't have like the life that I have now so it's not just about being a writer um I grew up in like Thatcher's Britain and um it was like in a very poor and neglectful family you know, we got food from food banks. There was a lot of violence. Um, and books basically just gave me like complete escape and hope and like um, a hunger for learning 
you know, um, solace, adventure. It just meant so much to me. And I actually can't remember a time when I couldn't read. My earliest memory is when I was five and I could read by then. And I remember being really insulted when I had to go to secondary school and read those Peter and Jane books. Oh, yeah. I was so angry. I hated them. I hated the people that made me read them. I wanted to burn those books because I already read way beyond that, but you had to go through it, you know. Um, yeah, and like even like I spent some time in foster parent, foster care as a child, and even like I, I got attacked by a dog once. I got like pulled around the garden by my face by this oh, no. giant German Shepherd, and like while they were doing the stitches, the only thing they could do that would like make me feel better was give me books. So they gave me um, Bramley Hedge. Which oh, those absolutely books. Love. Oh, I love Bramley Hedge. They're yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, all those um the gorgeous images and also the other ones. I don't know how to pronounce this. Richard Scary, Richard Scary, Scary, Scary. Oh yeah, Scary. You know, with all the like animals being like yes. workers and firemen and stuff like that. So while my face is bleeding and being stitched up by doctors, I was like completely in bliss because I just had my books and you know. So yeah, so I'd say I was definitely quite story shaped. Um, but also the other things that I like the books like we never had books in the house. Like you know, we didn't grow up. I think a lot of people are like I'm 46 now so like, like a lot of people my age I think would have experienced that there was a lot less when we were kids you know and disposable income for things like that so I lived in libraries mm. um I had the school library that I lived in with my best friend and we recently just connected because I don't live um in Middlesbrough where I'm from originally I haven't lived there a long time we connected during lockdowns and we connected back over reading oh, um, yeah it was really nice and we and like so I remember we um at the age of six, I'd be reading classics like The Secret Garden, The Little Princess. Um, and my Auntie Rita, um, I had this really lovely Auntie Rita, and she was my favourite human. And every Christmas and birthday, she would bring me a book, and it was the only present I wanted. It was the only present I cared about. I was always excited. And she used to bring me these, like, you know, um, bedtime story kind of collections. Um, you know, she's the person, she's the kind of person would now would bring me, like, books for rebel girls if that had, you know <laughs> back then yeah so she gave me all kinds of things um and I was lucky I had a teacher when I was seven I'd just come back from foster care so it was a new teacher and he knew that I loved like books and reading and he randomly brought me in collections of Edgar Allan Poe oh wow yeah and I was only seven years old and I just fell in love with it and he like really brought me to um poetry and it was really odd because that year I remember and I can still recite some of it now I fell in love with um Elegy written in a country graveyard by Thomas Gray that's beautiful and, I love that yeah but like I have no idea why these things spoke to me but like he would bring me all these different like random poems and stuff you know like and I just fell in love with all kinds of reading so even though I was in this family where there wasn't really any reading or any books or any interest in learning like I was so lucky because it was all around me in a different way you know but that's why, like, it's like a serious turn. <laughs> but I do think, like, um, you know, I know people now who really struggle. And I think we're all struggling in some ways. But, like, some people that really, really struggle and I can't help them. The only difference I can see between their life and mine is a love of books and reading, you know. So I do think that books, like, shape us and form us. But I think books can save lives as well. Absolutely. And I just it struck me when you were talking about Brambley Hedge and um, the Richard Scarry books. Um, um what always interests me about those books. Oh, look, she's, Elizabeth's holding up a copy of Brambley Hedge. Is that the, that's the complete Brambley Hedge. The complete Brambley Hedge. Beautiful. I bought, Amazing. It. I bought it for myself for my 40th birthday. Oh, like, good present. Yeah. Beautiful <laughs> presents. Gorgeous. The illustrations in the, both of those books, they present these really cosy 
comforting worlds, don't they? Um, which was probably something you really responded to, especially when you were in hospital or like when there's chaos all around you and you can retreat into this this world where everyone, like in the Richard Scarry's books, everyone's got a job, everyone's got a purpose. Like yeah. there's just so much comfort going on in those books. Yeah, and I'd never thought of it like that. Um, I remember in, um, I think it was in Eve McDonald's interview and she was saying like about never feeling represented in books. Mm. And I remember feeling as a kid, like I often, I turned to very, very visual things. I loved things about nature, you know, and I also loved like um, National Geographic. I could eat that up, you know, and all I wanted to do was travel and have animals, That's, you know, <laughs> and more books. Like, you know, I didn't really want much. Um, but like, I remember trying to read like um, The Famous Five and it, you know, and there was all these posh kids with names that would have gotten beaten up in my school. Know. You know what I mean? Like, going <laughs> in Jabir, and I was like, yeah, right, that doesn't exist. But, like, you know, like, it just didn't make any sense to me. So I never had this connection with things like Enid Blyton. But mm. give me some, like, you know, nice blustery myth and legend and a bit of, you know, a bit of um, fighting and murder and all that <laughs> stuff. You know, like, so Hans Christian at Fairy Tales. I love fairy tales. But, like, Hans Christian Andersen, I don't care for ducks suddenly nice or not who you know but like give me the brothers grim so I always I, so it was weird I was looking for comfort when I didn't realize it but I was always attracted to the kind of really dark stuff you know um but I couldn't I never felt represented at all and so like from a very young age I was reading like so um, I got my first I got an adult card at the library the librarian let me read like get an older card so then I could read the classics and I fell in love with I read when I was 10 I read um Hard Times by Charles Dickens. Oh, wow. Fell in love with it. And I think what I didn't realize, like, was the things then that I started reading all the classics, you know, like um, Wuthering Heights and all of these things. Like, what I didn't realize, they were all talking about class. And that's mm. what I was doing. So mm. even though it was set in a different time, I identified more with like, like Dickensian kind of orphans than I did, you know, I don't know whatever their names are going off for their ginger beer and nice picnics you know so it was really weird um yeah and it wasn't until I read um it was Kestrel for a Nave by Barry Hines oh, I love that book but I actually felt like ah oh, there's a book that's something relevant to my life you know um so yeah it was it so I think like it's interesting for me now being a children's author I'm always very aware that like I was recently working on a pro working on a project it wasn't a book but it was a project that was for children and the feedback came that the language was too sophisticated and I should dumb down. Now, as children's authors, I think you can imagine the rage that went through. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm always very aware, you know, like children are so different in what they read and in different contexts, you know, and what they read privately to what they read in school. And, um, you know, and like, so I'm always very aware that like I was reading these mad things when I was like, do you know, I mean, how much did I miss when I was 10? Probably quite a lot. But there was something in... Charles Dickens and Emily Bronte that really spoke to me you know and um, so I'm always kind of thinking now as a children's author like how varied and respectful we have to be. Absolutely know? yeah and it's like I'm, I'm guessing with the Emily Bronte and the Charles Dickens it's like yeah you're responding to the class representation but also you're responding to like they're dealing with deep emotional pain as well yeah through story. And they have mad names you know and I loved that so it's like I don't know in some ways it's not like magical realism you know because yeah. time but like but you know how like now a lot of fantasy we can kind of use fantasy to um maybe look at or like 
yeah, look at like kind of big and hurtful issues, but mm -hmm. like, you know, because it's set in a different world, it's not too painful, you know, like, um, so we can kind of use fantasy and the, the beauty of fantasy to make kind of more empathy and, and look at dark feelings and things like, so I think that that for me was just because I didn't find that. I thought there was nothing really out there, but um, Claire Hennessy, who is a wonderful writer um, and a very smart lady has, um, put me right about that there was like particularly when I was a teenager and um, there was a lot of like YA books around but it's about um, access and so the only access I had was the local library and you know the school library and this is pre-internet so you can't just find anything you were very reliant on what was there you know yeah um, yeah. But yeah it was just like I, th I think that so historic the kind of classics and historical stuff was my kind of fantasy back at that time and then of course there was horror we like oh, yeah like <laughs> vampires you know um <laughs> yeah so in my teenage years we moved into actually you know like um I've made it sound really highbrow with all of this for classics but at the same time you know me and my friend in primary school were reading the Sweet Valley Twins you know oh, like, yeah. <laughs> religiously like you know there was um so, so it wasn't but it was mainly like kind of the classic stuff but I think that was more of the time you know now there is such a wealth of children's books and there's so many things that come out before the podcast I checked to see for instance like um when I was a teen like when junk came out but I was already in my 20s when that came out but I would have loved that as a teenager you know um like Sarah Maria Griffin's other word for smoke oh that's a that, fantastic book yeah yeah that would have been right up my street so it's really funny like even now as I'm reading it's shaping like it's shaping my life now and stuff but it also shapes like it, it, I think of things like I would have enjoyed at different ages and um Deirdre Sullivan who I really risk sounding like a fangirl Deirdre if you listen to this <laughs> I'm so sorry but I can't help it like literally Deirdre does everything that I want in every book from like I just think she's incredible I think that like I, I feel like Neil Gaiman and JK Rowling should just come to Deirdre and be like tell us what <laughs> Do you know, I just <laughs> so much. What's your oh, secret, Georgia? Yeah. It's a wonderful yeah. Tangle Mead and Brian. <laughs> Tangle, like, Tangle Mead and Brian's a great book, yeah. Yeah, if Tangle Weed and Brian and like Savage Her Reply and, and 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 you know had been around when I was a teen, like, oh my god, I would have just died with joy. Like, you know, I'd I'd have loved those. Um, yeah, and I, so of course I, I did move on to Sweet Valley High because who wouldn't? Um, <laughs> read all of them, loved yeah, them. Exactly. We were obsessed with those in my school yeah. as well. And we it's weird because. Like, why did I connect with them? I mean, like they're blonde twins in America. I mean, it's it, again, it's almost like fantasy, right? It's so yeah. moon. Absolutely these, fantasy, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> but these posh English kids off for the like nice picnics. Like I was living in England and that wasn't my life. So I couldn't identify it. We, you know, but um, yeah, I love the Sweet Valley High. And then um there was, I don't know if you read these as well, but you know the interview in the with the vampire? Mm, the right. yeah. Yeah. Vampire yeah. Chronicles, you know, they were amazing. So I wasn't like a complete freak as a child I did <laughs> inappropriate things as well but then I also read flowers in the attic do you know what I mean we all oh, me yeah, too. That got oh, I never I never yeah. actually read that it was but I know it was like it was being passed around the school I don't know how I missed it but you know what that's like that's such one of the wonderful things about childhood reading is that you just read indiscriminately like you're reading across genre you're reading books that are like not aimed at you and you're just like you're just responding to story yeah and like, and I don't know if it's the same for you, but like, say if I've just been reading, because I read everything I love. Um, as a kid, I read everything. Like if someone left um, a manual around for a fridge, I would read it back to back. Like, yeah. like I yeah. loved 
everything like and even now mm-hmm. because i was so nosy as well even now i can read like upside down and sideways i can read <laughs> oh, me too but like i it always handy when you've got a kid over. to read to <laughs> yeah but you, does it happen to you Sinead? i always get nearly run over because i'm reading the upside down oh, yeah. it, says, yeah. oh, it says like look right so i'm looking the wrong way um <laughs> Yeah, like, um, so it's quite a dangerous um, <laughs> skill to have. Uh, yeah, but I would just read everything. And if I just read, say, a, like a, a National Geographic cover to cover, then I'd be like, right, now I need a werewolf, do you know? And then after I'd had my werewolf, I'd be like, <laughs> I want to go to the queen, court of Queen Anne Boleyn. And then, that, you know, it's just like, yeah, I love everything. I'm really greedy. I like so many things. And books are the one place, like, you know, where you can be fed by that yeah um, that sounds brilliant just an exploration i always feel like i'm traveling when i'm reading books you know seeing as travel is my other favorite thing um it's a win-win as far as i'm concerned <laughs> <laughs> um what stories do you think like what were the most significant or influential in your life like what maybe guided your career choices or like what had the most say physical tangible impact on your life Oh, that's interesting. Definitely the Kestrel for a Nave, because mm. that was the first kind of time that, you know, I'd seen the sort of world. Still wasn't the same because it was Yorkshire and it was during the mining strikes. And I was just after that. I was in the aftermath. But um, that was the first time I'd seen myself or my world represented in a book and thought that maybe it was important or interesting enough to write about. I'd always written as well as reading. So even as a kid, like we used to play, one of my favorite games was um, we used to all sit under our quilts and then stick your feet out and tell ghost stories, scary <laughs> stories. And the last one to pull your feet in won. And I, I like that game because I won every time. Like, um, and I used to tell myself from being very young, I used to tell myself stories in bed. Um, but at that time, the only books I'd had access to were my sister, who she was eight years older. Um, she had loads of these Jim, Jill's Jim Carner books. So it was like Jill's Jim Carner. Jill. Oh, I think, yeah. You know what? I think Jill, I read Jill them. Jill loves horses some more. Jill's more horses. It's, well, titles were ridiculous. But so I used to lie in bed and like make the stories up. Um, and then the next day I'd do a little recap for myself and then tell myself more of the story that I was making up. So they were really influential in terms of me telling stories from a young age. Oh, that's even so though like... I didn't really care about horses, but I could have told you anything at that point because they were the only, it was the books that I cared about, you know. Um, so they were really, so that even though that wasn't, my, Ruby Ferguson, that's who it was. Oh, yes. Was I have massive, some of those books. Yeah, there was a massive range of them. Um, basically, she always got a horse. That was what happened, you know. Um, <laughs> so there's those, there was Kestrel for a Nave. Um, when I hit my teenagers, I became, I, I've always been interested in other cultures. And when I um, hit my teenagers, I was reading, solely reading Japanese authors, and that was a huge impact on me because um, the subtlety of Japanese writing and also the, the a lot less drama, you know, the, the, the characters, the dramas are often internal. And um, mm-hmm. so I, I was reading solely for about two years, like um, Banana Yoshimoto, the Murakami's Wind Up Bird Chronicle was just like unbelievable. Mishima, um, you know, and then there was all like just, just I've always been fascinated by Japanese culture but like for a while there and but it totally changed my thinking I think about storytelling because you know like westernized versions I love film as well you know and like like um like anything from the west is always like come in at the dramatic moment you know and it's like increase the tension everything's just like ramping up all the time 
whereas kind of like I found like the Japanese stories were often very beautiful and very subtle and it felt like more like a tranquil sea with a little blip do you know <laughs> um <laughs> But there was something beautiful in those, you know, um, again, escapism and adventure. And there's so many genres and styles. But um, yeah, and, and how and like the kind of surrealness of them sometimes where it's like, yeah, of course, the guy sits down a well talking to a young girl about missing cats. Like, why would he, you know, like, <laughs> and that to just suspend belief. Um, so just Japanese writing in general um, had a massive influence but it's so hard because every time I think of one thing I think of another hundred you know I know because it can't it's not it's never just one thing or it's never just like no. 10 things because we are so like interwoven with stories <laughs> exactly and like you know I've always whatever it is though I'm always attracted to the dark yeah mm. you know I, I can't like caramel hearts I I I remember um, I got feedback from the first draft, or like the first draft, not the first draft, the first one <laughs> C, which was probably draft like six million. But um, yeah, the editor came back and said, like, you know, um, the only problem is the mom is so horrible that like there's no, we need some empathy from the reader, and you're not going to get that because she's too horrible. And I just remember saying to her, oh, I based that on my mum and made a nice. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> so I find like just happy stories quite hard I'm trying to read mm. more of those but I'm just so attracted to it so yeah I, so I'd have to say Brothers Grimm I guess as well you know yeah a good starting point from and Edgar Allan Poe I guess as well oh gosh yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah I don't know I it, it, just my tastes have been so eclectic and this is actually the poem Digging by Seamus Heaney oh yeah often Irish people react with like horror if I bring up Seamus Heaney because they were you know often false fed it in the school system but I found Heaney myself oh know? wonderful and that's different he wasn't in my schooling um and I was looking through anthologies of um like just some anthology and that was in there and I just loved it you know because like reading was so important to me writing I never thought I could be a writer because you know when I went to my careers advice they were like oh you'll probably be pregnant by the time you're 16 or you know work pushing trolleys in Asda and I was like oh great nice to know you're aspiring high for me so <laughs> you know so I'd never thought like I always just wanted to get an education and I didn't know what would come next but I'd never thought I could be a writer but when I read that poem and I, I think I'll have been maybe 10 or 11 probably when I found it I think that's when I was really thirsty for as much as I could you know and we have more time on our hands um yeah and I read that and I just connected with it so much and it just I loved that poem so much and I um even when I was at university I had that poem framed and on my wall um mm. I don't yeah, know stop doing that but yeah it was so important to me no because it's such a wonderful poem and like Heaney is a poet it's just he's using such simple language to access such deep things and that poem as well as like it's really him saying okay this is the tradition this is my family tradition and this is yeah. me deviating from it but also continuing it and I love that yeah it just yeah. really and I think I wanted something so different from what I'd got in life yeah and that thing like to me in a way books were often like an act of defiance or act of rebellion like very typically in the kind of area that I grew up in the time that I grew up um, and in the family that I grew up there was a lot of specifics there you know every time someone told me you can't do that which was pretty regularly mm. a book told me I could 
So I was just like, hey, books, (laughs) you know, so constantly like a poem or a book would just seem to turn up at the right time. Do you know? And they're magic like that. Yeah. And I like I don't know if I'm making things sound like too dark and depressing or too like almost magical in a way. But that's how it felt to me. You know, like I knew I could get a counter kind of opinion or attitude and and that story of peonies to like really did that for me as well you know I love that I love that idea of books giving you permission or books countering the the kind of maybe negative attitudes that you're getting in your day-to-day life the books are saying no 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 here there's other worlds there's other ways of thinking and as well the like your interest in Japanese writing is giving you alternative models to the way we tell stories so books are just they're just exploding your mind yeah even now you know at the start of the pandemic when everyone else was like panic buying water and toilet roll I ordered about 200 books I "I don't know what's going to happen here I better get the books like so I got books of all kinds I was just like you know books on like you know how to stay focused when you're really really bored because I was like I might need that you know so I was finding all kind of like just and then like stories from all around the world and you wasn't going to be able to travel so it was like right I will travel in books <laughs> you know so yeah I yeah my to be read pile is ridiculous right now because of that but um but yeah that's my immediate thought was like get books and I mean at the time I was just loving books like as a kid I just loved books and it's something that I just um I'm quite hyperactive I need to move all the time I need to be doing stuff like I just like saw a friend yesterday for coffee and she was like relax a minute you're okay and I'm like I hate sitting down if I'm not doing something um so yeah I don't think she's ever gonna meet me for coffee again normally we meet for walks and I think she knows why now um but books are the one thing that can like writing they're the one thing that can still me and I can be there for hours you know so and that was like as a kid as well and I wasn't just a bookish kid like I did art I actually thought I'd be an artist I'm very visual so I did a lot of art um I did music um I did every sport team going like so um pretty much I just didn't want to be at home so I was like do you want to join the choir card sing I'm there (laughs) (laughs) but I did everything so I wasn't like I was just bookish you know like people have an idea that you like one thing Mm. Um, I liked everything and then all of those things that I liked could also be found in books it was just like what more do you want just books everyone should love books (laughs) (laughs) but that's a lovely idea of books stilling you because I find that as well like my brain is always like it's just going yeah. 90 miles an hour all the time and books the time, are the one yeah. thing that just mm-hmm. like quiet the constant yeah. thoughts because you're you're just entering into other worlds yeah like a lot of my editing I do while walking so I'll print things out and I'll walk because I can't bear to sit still for so long you know and and a lot of my ideas are often when I'm moving like I need to move a lot like I know this 10,000 steps a thing day thing is just like nonsense for me if I did that I'd go insane and I'd be like wouldn't be able to hold a thought or a conversation and no one would like me anymore <laughs> so I always aim for like 16 to 20,000 a day and that balances the brain activity that I have and also the need for more I just feel like I don't know I thought I'd calm down as I get older but it's not happening like do you know I'm your, char- your characters are really active as well actually now that I think about it your characters are on the move yeah probably yeah and there's stuff going on all the time and yeah yeah I can't I always say like I'm the person that no one wants like at a party because like I can't help 
just always thinking big and wider pictures and my brain goes off, you know, so that whole thing, I live in um, a tiny village, I live in Skull in West Cork. And I thought beautiful I, I, part of the world. Gorgeous. But after the first year, I thought I was going to die if anyone else talked to me about the weather because I can't <laughs> do that, you know. So like it'll be a party and everyone will be like, you know, oh, what did you do at the weekend? And I'm like, I want to talk about world peace and how we can save the penguins. And did you hear about like this terrible scientific experiment? <laughs> I just make her go away. Too intense. <laughs> <laughs> So me and books are good friends because they don't. <laughs> they reward <laughs> that intensity. Yeah, they like yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're, you're my kind of person, Elizabeth, for sure. I, I'd love to talk about saving penguins with you. <laughs> yeah, we did. Like, let's have a party together. Yeah, and bring the books yes. that also reflect the things we want to talk about. Yeah. We cover, imagine we could cover everything from like time travel and reincarnation oh. to like, I don't know. Yeah, saving the penguins. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm in. I'm there. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you a question, Jeanette, though? Because, like, the one mm -hmm. thing I've always wanted to do in writing, which I can't do, is write funny. Like, if ever I write funny, and your books are really funny. They are. If I try and write Thanks funny, very much. It sounds like someone's really annoying uncle at a wedding has taken over <laughs> me or something. I can't. How do you do it? <laughs> Tell us a secret, Sinead. That's a really good question. Um, I don't, I don't know the answer. Uh, I suppose I have to give my family credit for that. We, I come from a very, I suppose, witty family. I mean, my my dad, bless him, is uh, is constantly coming out with with just the perfect, you know, bon mot, just to sort of sum up every situation he's in or whatever. He has he has a collection of really good and really funny phrases, none of which I can say on a podcast because they're all <laughs> not suitable for small ears. Um, but uh, he he has he always has a great for he's not necessarily a bookish person or a reader or whatever but he's a great I suppose a storyteller raconteur maybe um and he certainly has a great way of phrasing things and uh, I think I got a lot of that from just listening to him uh I'd grown up um and uh yeah I suppose him and my, my uncles on, on that side of the family they're all very witty and and, and quick um and uh, and dry very sarcastically and, and dry humored people but I don't really, I don't really know. Besides, besides that, I'm not sure where it comes from. But thank you very it's much for saying air so. You it's, it's, it's lovely. It must be. It's obviously it's in the Wexford air. You know, we're very we're we've been we've been very Cork focused on this podcast lately. I don't know if I like that now. So <laughs> Cork takes over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, right, you're to the Wexford air, then yeah, it's just it's a skill that like I really admire, and it's something I've tried, and I can't do it like. Just well, like I have to a nice much. mother or a happy ending, apparently. But <laughs> but oh, well. humor, I think, is like. If I could write funny, I think I could die happy then. I'd be like, oh, I've finally done that. <laughs> Actually, oh, no, gosh. I'd probably die happier if I can, like, bring books to more people. Like, that's definitely, like, my big thing in life. Like, you know, just, yeah. Like, I love nothing more than, like, when you get an email. And, um, you know, after I've done an event, sometimes, like, you know, the kid that didn't read, the kid that's the kind of class clown and everyone's sort of following. I may get an email or from hit from them or like from their teacher saying like, you know, oh well, Tom really enjoyed the visit. Um he's gonna read a book, but no, you're not yours because it's too big. <laughs> and I, like, I love those emails because I'm like, if he'll even try it, do you know what I mean? If he's even gonna try read if one person, one more person comes to books, you know, um and I don't think like you know, it's like the it's like sea swimmers as well as sea swimmers here, and they're quite like 
want to make everybody do it because they get so much out of it, you know. So I kind of get where they're coming from, but I hate cold water, so that's not going to happen. Um, and I realise <laughs> not everyone is going to, like, be a big book reader, but I just think, you know, reading in general, you know, it, it like, brings empathy, um, you know, like, mm-hmm. it helps you follow instructions, you know, like, mm. like just it helps you so much in like so even if like you stop reading after a certain time or whatever you know if books have been in your life at some point I think it's still brings a plus so I don't want to be too vigilante about it but I am trying to force the world to want to read my book well that's uh <laughs> I'm on board with that 100% yeah absolutely <laughs> what we're all about here on the pod <laughs> that's that's an excellent an excellent uh, thing to want to do with your life Elizabeth so yeah <laughs> write more things read more things make other people do it too (laughs) read all the things write all the things absolutely (laughs) books for all um are there particular are there particular books or particular stories that you feel had the most influence on your own writing or what were the books that made you a writer I suppose because you were talking about the Ruby Ferguson books that made you kind of tell stories Mm, where is there to myself tell your stories to yourself (laughs) um uh, yeah that's quite sad (laughs) I I was like um yeah I used to continue it alone every night I'd say um as an adult wanting to write for children I was an interest in writing for children the Philip Pullman books Uh, yeah um see like Harry Potter and all of that came out when I was already an adult you know like yeah me too uh, so like there was a lot of stuff but I don't feel like I missed anything because I still read them do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean like um different times but like I mean I've got here with me I've actually got a really beautiful set of his um trilogy but even things like um like I've got the Lyra's Oxford Mm. you know the little Mm -hmm. extras with all the maps and things but just like you know his respect towards children the, the the you know the the sophisticated language the layers you know I mean it's complicated stuff Mm-hmm. Do you know and I like that because you know I just remember the that hatred of the Peter and Jane books do you know it's like oh st- I'm still I'm still raging that I've wasted minutes of my life forcing me to read those out lives out loud so I could like <laughs> get a ticky box we but had Anne and Barry do you remember them Anne and Barry yeah, yeah same, same Barry, awful yeah. Awful. Was it the same idea? Yeah. Did Dan have a ball? Barry had a ball. The dog have a ball. Yeah, yeah. That, that kind of thing. riveting plot. <laughs> and like, and then, oh, it just drove me mad because the next minute they'd be seeing you reading like a little princess or the Secret Garden or you know, um, Treasure Island, something like that. And then you having to go back reading sentences aloud. The dog has a ball. The ball is big. It's like. This is not big, is it? This is pathetic. Stop it. <laughs> I remember that. The rage. Well, maybe they, maybe that rage made you a writer. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was like, I have to go. So yeah, I'm not giving any kudos to those books. Right? <laughs> okay, I, I take it back. I take it back. <laughs> yeah, take that back. That's not happening. Um, I'd say definitely Philip Pullman, definitely the Brothers Grimm, because it was always the Grimm stories, you know, that I loved, like particularly Hansel and Gretel, which um, terrified everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of myth and legend. That's really the kind of places that I drew on. Um, but yeah, in terms of, and, and junk as well, actually, um, when, I, again, I was an adult when that came out, but I've never stopped exploring what's out there for children, you know, um, I mean, as a children's writer now, but I wasn't a children's writer until I was, what, was my... 30s so you know but even but in my 20s and onwards I still always read like books for children and what was coming out just you know I, I don't, I'm not I don't know why but I but it was um what I was always attracted to still. because that's where the best stories are 
Yeah, exactly. But people often think like, you know, that you like if you're reading books for kids, it's because you always wanted to be a children's writer, you know, and so that was your calling. But that's not that wasn't the case. Like I thought I was gonna be an artist. I didn't really care what I wanted to be as long as I wasn't in Middlesbrough on the door. That was like like as long as I'm not that, I'm doing better, you know, like for me, that was my personal desire, you know, just to be somewhere else and to to act, to have a job, do you know, like so I was coming from a pretty low <laughs> common denominator there. So, you know, um, but yeah, I thought I might be an artist. I was a teacher. I was a glass engraver. Um, I worked in gaming industry. Like, the, you know, I've done loads of things and I always read and I always wrote. But there was something about children's books that always, you know, while I was reading Japanese, um, you know, and really quite dark things and essays. And uh, I've always loved nature a lot. I think, you know, like my books are very around landscape and setting yeah. it's not just the love of nature like I'm really interested in how where you are impacts how you behave in the world you know so I, I grew up in an area where there was litter everywhere there was graffiti on the outside mm -hmm. of the house that I lived in this is a place that's telling you we don't care do you know so why should you care you know so as a kid I'm mortified to admit it but as a kid I would drop litter on the ground because that's what my mother did and that's what my neighbors did and you know not all you'd have the ones who came out angry and picking it all up and giving you dirty looks but like you know when you're in that environment so I love those kind of tv shows you know when like the kids come from like bostly places and they take them in the woods and teach them kind of bush bushcraft and they start getting like you know a sense of self um, I love all that kind of thing so like landscape really interests me and um, so actually as well as a kid Thomas Hardy books I loved them but I think it was the landscape I think it was yeah. the landscape in that that really pulled me in and the characters in the classics are always linked to the landscapes aren't they, they are aren't they true yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and um, so in my 30s I realized I realized that I'd read all my all the classics when I was like from the age of 10 probably up until about 20 you know, like, so in that 10 years, what would be considered classics were like key to me. And I realized like, I totally lost, you know, so I started rereading um, classics. And actually I went back to Thomas Hardy when I started the um, Nine Lives tril trilogy. Oh, did you? When I, yeah, when I'm writing fantasy, I want to write some, I want to read something different, you know, like, otherwise it all starts merging. Cause I'm too- mm. Oh yeah, I see what you mean. So mm. I like to read, so, but like, something that's maybe linked so recently I've been working on a science fiction um novel so I was reading things like linked to space or having like like um kind of I don't know sort of surrealist books but I but I wasn't necessarily reading science fiction because I forget what's my story and somebody else's do you know because I get so immersed I'm just like there <laughs> so yeah so it's really like landscape anything with landscape in it is a big I've totally gone off on a tangent there. So That's fine. We love no. tangents. <laughs> oh, I love <God>. a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> I feel yeah, like I have a tangent a lot of the time too, so it's all fine. But it's actually not a it's not a tangent at all because like you're talking about the way in which particular books shaped your writing and I mean landscape Absolutely. is it's such a huge part of the yeah. world in your writing. And, the, and 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 also its influence on the characters and the way in which, like as I said in the introduction, like that outside mirrors the inside, and that's happening in all of your books, and that's one of the things that you're exploring when you're writing. Yeah, and yeah, exactly, and like, and I um, plot is even though the Nine Lives trilogy has got so much plot in it. Oh my god, I broke my brain doing that. <laughs> 
I was like <laughs> reading an enthusiastic first book and then realized, oh, I've got to write another two now <laughs> and make it make sense. I can totally um, empathize. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh no, what did I do? Um, but like, I mean, there's so much plot in there, but I don't think of plot at all. Like I, every time I start a book, I have my character and I have my setting. Oh my God, we're the same writer. Yeah, and everything comes from there. So I was, the book that um I finished, which hasn't been like um taken up by a publisher yet like it's out on submission you know so it's not a book that's coming but it will be maybe. it will anyway I called it um Arabella Pepper the Wild Detective and on oh. draft five there was still no crime <laughs> there was an Arabella Pepper and she was wild all right but there was no crime but that's typically how I write you know like so plot is really it's it's last in my thinking because it has to come from the character and how the character's behaving in an environment and how mm. that environment is impacting a character. So yeah, so I always say I write fast and dirty <laughs> because <laughs> I do like really fast drafts because I know like I'm not even gonna find my plot till at least draft five, you know. It's it, so I, I kind of do like fast rewrites. Um, I use that NaNoWriMo sort of model, you know, like for a month for a first draft. And I call it a draft zero. In fact, I have about five draft zeros before I get to a first draft because they're so terrible. But it's exciting me and it's making me want to write it. And it's me finding the character and, you know, it's all about the character and the landscape. Um, and stuff happens, but it just doesn't make any sense, really, until several drafts in. You're making me feel so much better about my process. It's very similar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing though like because I obviously because your book's out next year so yeah. I'm not privy to that yet but I mean Sinead as well as being incredibly witty your books have you know got a lot of plot as well but like would you have that early on as like is that what you're focusing on or are you <clears throat> it's kind of funny because the the books the books I've written they're all they're, they're all different I mean uh, the, the from my first book The Eye of the North it just kind of seemed to like you okay kind of I just sat down and wrote it and came out in a big splodge you know I didn't consciously I, I knew my car I knew where I wanted to start and I knew where I wanted it to end more or less and I didn't have any idea of what was happening in the middle um and I just I just sat down and splodged it out onto the screen um but then you know when you have a when you have deadlines when you have uh when you have book deals and you kind of have to meet yeah. x or y deadline plotting you know plotting it out before you start has has helped me uh, I wouldn't I suppose I, I wouldn't be a natural plotter I prefer to sort of let it flow but when you have to work to strict you know the strictures of the industry uh you know having and, and sometimes you, you know yourself Elizabeth you have to sort of put forward a, a proposal to publishers you know and you have to sort of have have a framework for what you want to write or whatever if you want to you know if, if they're going to offer you um deals and things so sometimes you have to do that it's like a virtue or, or a necessity of the of the industry that you that you work in um but I, I would be I would prefer to be a writer who can just kind of as you say, you know, write and let the story tell me, bring me where, where it wants to go. Um, but lately, in the last few years, I found myself working more to a structure, which, I mean, it, it's, it's it works. Uh, it's not my natural way of doing things, but it but it does work. Yeah. I'd like to do that more. One of my own books. Um, so recently I've been working on like a secret project, which is a, a, a book for adults, but I co-wrote it with somebody else. But Very cool. Yeah, so like it's we call it secret project because we just wanted to do it for us and like we don't know what will happen with it or if anything will happen with it, you know. So it's still secret project, but the reason I'm bringing it up here is that because it was two of us, we had to plot it out. 
that sure yeah what we were doing <clears throat> that's the first time i've ever successfully done that i tried doing that myself in my own books i did it twice and i basically killed it dead and i felt like i'd done the work with no reward yeah but sometimes you feel like you, you take all the spontaneity and all the life out of your characters and out of your that, story if you plot it too much yeah that's yeah, what, I, I was only trying to do a little outline i was only trying to do a little bit like two pages and honestly even by like i was just i literally bored myself and i couldn't write the book and that happened two times so i was like right i'm not doing it now so now i just kind of accept that i might be on draft five with you know a wild detective with no crime and that's okay it will come <laughs> <laughs> i love that yeah i think a lot of it is trust though isn't it you know mm. it's like I, I always think of like you know how people often think like reading writing a book is like reading so they're surprised when you say it takes a year or two years or whatever you know because they're yeah. like well i read it in two days how could it take so long um i do think there are similarities in the um for me like um the trust is like when you go into a book you trust the trust, characters yeah. and the you know and the you kind of trust the process of reading that you're going to mm -hmm. go on a journey and you know and for me i kind of have that same feeling when i'm writing a book as well i'm kind of trusting it in the same way is it you, tr you trust yourself is it trust your own ability to yeah trust trust my own to fly when you jump <laughs> well i guess you like because yeah. you're made of you are made of stories like stories are in your dna they're like so intrinsically part of you so if you're trusting like trust that you know what a story is you will produce yeah. a story yeah, yeah. But it is a weird feeling, but I'm, but like, yeah, I don't know. Um, but also that comes with a bit more experience, you know, like as well of, I certainly, you know, in my first book, I don't know if um you feel the same, Jeanette, but when I look at my first book now, like there would be elements that I would do differently, you know, because, yeah, yeah. but I hold it up as like an example of where I've come from, like come as a writer, you know, because definitely in my first book, like whatever my editor said was just, gold I'm like that's happening <laughs> you know um I was clearly not everything it was you know collaborative but I certainly accepted more things where I would have fought my corner more now you know so like mm -hmm. and that comes with a confidence of um experience I think you know and um but yeah I think trust is such a it's such a huge thing and I think people forget like people often we talk about process a lot as writers my husband's a musician and they don't you know they perform and then they walk away um but we do have here in Skull, like once a month, there's um, a singer-songwriter circle, which is where people, musicians come unplugged, they sing their own song. And then they talk a bit about the process. And it's really cool because you never get to hear that. You know, I, I get it all the time as a writer. And people always want to know, like, the secret of getting published, the secret of telling a good story, mm -hmm. the secret of whatever. But I think, like, we often forget the element of trust that a reader is placing in us, you know. It's not that I'm thinking about the reader as such I mean as children's authors there are things we have to think about you know like if we're doing a teenage thing like with Caramel Hearts I had to think about language because where I grew up there was a lot of cursing do you know but that wasn't going to fly in the book mm. it wasn't gonna you know so I had to think how could I make it realistic without you know having it banned from every single bookshop in the world um so you know so we do have elements we have to think of but I just think like, you know, we have to trust ourselves to write the best story that we can. So then the audience can, the reader can trust us in return. And I think that's, it's like a pact in some way, a secret pact, yeah. you know? So like when I'm, I feel like I'm getting close to the end of a story when I feel like it's safe to allow somebody to trust, Do you know, it's safe to, it, I feel like I can hand a story over and it's, 
it's not that people aren't going to be examining stuff and going through some dark stuff you know because my books are quite deeply emotional in lots of ways um but i feel like i've got it to a stage where somebody i can trust someone to read it without me being there to explain anything or like apologize <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> you're weeping right now um that kind of way does that make any sense no that makes absolute sense and i guess because we're, we're we're talking about kind of conscious how you shape stories how you consciously shape stories um and one of the questions we always ask um, our guests is do you see yourself as a shaper of stories and what does that mean to you yeah yeah uh that's such a good question you know when sometimes writers say that like they had a book idea and it just came out of them and they were like I, mean, mm -hmm. I don't get that at all like when I'm doing a story I'm doing the work do you know what I mean? Like, I really feel like I've got a pinprick of something there. And then I'm like, digging for it. Do you know, I'm definitely doing the work to find it and to shape it and to form it. Um, so yeah, like, I always have a mood when I start a story. I don't have a moral, I don't have a lesson, I don't have that, but I have a mood, you know, so for Caramel Hearts, for instance, where it's, you know, around Deal, um, dealing with alcohol addiction and the impact on a family you know I wanted that to have an element of hope and an element of possibility but not in a twee Enid Blyton picnicking with ginger beer way mm -hmm. did I mention right. I might have had a problem with, with him <laughs> <laughs> um, you might not have mentioned that um, you know so like so yeah so I have a sense of what I want to achieve I have a sense of like perhaps the emotions I'd like the reader to come away with what they do with that and how they get there and it might not work it's fine you know but um but I definitely feel like I'm doing the work you know like I'll do 23 drafts of a book no problem and if I feel like it's not that moment where I can trust that it can go out in the world without doing some form of damage or needing some extra like I'll keep going um I've got you know um yeah and I like that shaping I love the process the, the publishing side kind of terrifies me a bit like book launches make me want to eat my own eyeballs <laughs> so if you seem if you come to a launch and I'm being like the class clown that's just terror that's just terror mm. manifesting as a clown um yeah and like and I always say I'm a writer I never say an author because I'm very like I think I've heard Deidre Sullivan say this recently as well um but I've always had this thing, like, especially, like, I didn't even grow up working class. I aspired to be working class. Like, in Britain, I grew up as underclass and, you know, was constantly reminded of this. So, like, I always think of an author as the gatekeepers, you know, that, like, I know so many people who are amazing writers and they haven't been published yet, but they are incredible writers. It's just that the right person hasn't seen it yet, you know, and I don't even know if the right person exists in the publishing industry yet, you know, there's, mm, a, there's, the a, long, there's a long yeah. way go there you know mm -hmm. so, so I always as well I'm careful to use the term writer because I don't give any less shaping and time to a poem or an essay or a story as I do to a novel yes a novel takes longer because it is longer you know just like with reading as well I'm always aware of like where you are as in what country you're in um, mm -hmm. and what, what like we have access to a lot more knowledge about books because once you're a writer you tend to make lots of friends who are writers and you're much more aware of what's going on in the industry so we have like a really wide access to books like um, say within Ireland or within England or wherever we're based but I'm always very aware just as like 
the publishing industry has gatekeepers for who can get published and what voices can be heard. They also are the gatekeepers of what books are in the public sphere in a mm -hmm. specific place, um, you know, and like what access we have to reading. So I always try to read from lots of cultures and like, this is why I love Twitter. I get a lot of my like reading references from people mm -hmm. who follow in Japan, like Native American writers, like people from all over the world. So I can see through other lenses, you know. So, yeah. so yeah, I think I think for me, shaping is like it's the stories that I write, but it's also the way that I approach the stories and the way that I approach the way that I read, you know. Um, maybe I'm just greedy. I just want everything. I want everything. You should have everything. <laughs> <laughs> but see, I told you, like. You want a light conversation about books, and here I am again making it all serious. So no, nope. <laughs> you're doing exactly what we want on the pod. Uh, you're, you're, getting, you're getting to the heart of why it's so important, and that's what we want. So thank you very much for sharing your your wisdom uh, with us, um, and 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 your courage as well. I think you're you're a very brave writer. You're, you're you've come from, I suppose you've come from a place where some people maybe couldn't fully understand where where you've come from. You know and uh, and you've made something way amazing out of that you've made art you've made something that touches people and you've made something that changes lives out of your own i suppose maybe a tough a tough beginning in your own life and i think that's very admirable you know you're you're a great person and a great writer that's very great artist. thank you um, true. i have to say though the the reason that i bring it up a lot and i do bring it up a lot is just that i'm not seeing any other writers from the same background or very few yeah you know? There's a push now towards like, you know, we have no working class writers and it's like, but you know, depending on where you live, there's other classes even below that, do you know? Mm -hmm. and, um, so it's, I mean, that's very kind and thank you, but it, but it's, even though I mention it a lot, it, for me, it's not about me. It's like, I do a lot of school visit. I do around 200 school visits and school and library kind of visits a year, every year. And I try and go into like desk schools and under like deprived areas and underprivileged areas um and I just want like to come away like if I if I can come away and a kid has thought that maybe they can be a taxi driver when they don't know anyone who drives or maybe they could actually like work with animals even though you know they've never had an animal or they've not come across it or you know or they can do something creative to me I just want to like I bring mm -hmm. it up because nobody else is talking about it and I, and I think no one else is talking I, I don't know anyone from like that kind of background as such I do know writers, but then, they, but some of those writers would see it as like being the selling out, do you know, because of the kind of class divide and all of that. So I'm hoping there's so much more other diversity that needs to happen, you know, like, but I just, I'm just trying to fight like this one little corner where maybe kids in a similar situation, because I come across a lot, we haven't gone anywhere, you know, time's moved on and people are still getting food from food banks mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you know, um, so I'm just trying to fight that little corner so maybe it can yeah your voice be, is very important be example be an example yeah. perhaps you know well long may long may you fly in your flag Elizabeth your voice is very important <laughs> so <laughs> I I you, keep making it so serious I'm so sorry no no don't apologize <laughs> no apology needed no apology needed. I promise I don't walk around with like big boulders and flags attached to me like <laughs> <laughs> I'm like lighthearted in real life, but my brain, that's where my brain takes me. And that's where my books and writing take me. So I'm just off a loaded on you. This is like a free counseling session. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but 
Oh, that's very fun. It's a very fun counselling <laughs> session. <laughs> and I suppose to, just to finish or to, to bring us towards the end of the episode, um, uh, what's next from you in, term, in terms of upcoming projects, uh, stuff that you can talk about uh, if you have anything that's on, on, the, on, on the road? <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest, like during lockdown, I was writing so much, um, but I'm not under contract with anybody. And I'm in that process. My agent is, you know, um, has books that, she's, that are out on submission. Um, I think the, so I don't know. Um, I'm hopeful. I'm doing a lot of things. I've had a lot of like poems and um, essays and things published during because um, I, I always submit other things as well because you know sure yeah it's it's uh, yeah I, I need to do everything I'm just greedy we've established that um, but in terms <laughs> of books I did do the, the potential uh, children's middle grade series I also finished um, a dystopian book for adults and I finished this joint book with a secret person <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving so much away but um, I don't actually know because you know yourself the publishing industry um, I think it's been impacted greatly by two things recently one of course Covid but also Brexit um, mm. it's created and I know that everyone was saying about you know people reading um, a lot more during the lockdown but this was people who weren't reading before so they were reading classics and bestsellers that already exist and celebrities they like um, and from talking with writing friends um, which I have a lot now <laughs> which is lovely um and makes you stay sane um a lot of like it seems to be either debuts being picked up or you know obviously if someone's already a best-selling author or if you had a pre-existing um, contract but I'm not hearing of anybody really sign new deals and things particularly mid-career writer which is what I don't know I would be labeled as I guess I hate labels could you feel me <laughs> struggling to say that um <laughs> so I actually yeah I don't know all I know is like I've kept the joy of writing and I've been writing prolifically um and it's a question of what gets picked up and when what gets picked up yeah do you know and you can't you can't control that part of the process yeah so like so the only bit I can control is writing um, exactly and I've got two more books started um oh because i also just finished um a science fiction book for young adults when i say finish it does need it needs another draft before it goes mm -hmm. made, before it's almost there and i've got two first drafts um one is a retelling of a minotaur and one Ooh. is about a woman who goes out in the wilderness because people are bad <laughs> <laughs> they all sound fascinating yeah i, I want to read all of them yeah, so I'm just writing all the things. I'm going across all different age groups. Oh, yeah, I've done some picture books too, text for picture books. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, all different ages, all different genres. I'm literally, like I read, I'm finishing one thing and going, I'm doing something different now. Um, and who knows? That's my dream. Who knows That's what? my dream too, is to, get, is to get a picture book published. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I would love that so much. I'd love to do that too. Oh, yeah. 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 There's, yeah. They're, they're, they're a tough nut to crack though, to get, the, to get it just perfect. They're really hard art really form to, to 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 perfect yeah, yeah. so hats off to anybody who can do picture books <laughs> <They're amazing. laughs> so i'm afraid that was a very wishy-washy answer i'm writing all no the that's and fantastic I'm answer but who knows um you know it's one of those things we don't talk about like i've got four books published but you never know when the next deal will happen or sure. when you'll write something that because yeah. I write dark we've established that and I think you know the feedback I'm getting is the industry is looking for a little bit more light right now after the difficult times we've been through mm. so um you know it might be 
that some of the books have to sit shelved for a year or two until all the editors move around and you know the world changes and people want mm. different things but the world moves just dark too yeah exactly yeah. So, <laughs> so if i but as soon as i know i'll do what all good writers do and i'll dm you and tell you and see yeah. about that. awesome <laughs> <laughs> I'll await that DM with bated breath. <laughs> Where's the best place for people to keep track of these upcoming projects? Um, I'm, I talk a lot on Twitter. <laughs> so on Twitter, I'm at Ian Murray. Um, I'm on Instagram as well. Come over there if you want things like I grow my own vegetables and I live in the countryside and we catch our own fish. So my Instagram, I don't really follow many writers. Sorry, all my writer friends, but I try and keep that like more art and landscape and you know, a little space where I can go when my books are doing my head in, do you know? I need a little <laughs> bit of space too. Um, and then on Twitter, I think I'm E.R. Murray author on Twitter as well. Uh, no, sorry, on uh, Facebook. So yeah, find me in any of those. I, I like friends. I, I sit in a room making things up all the time, do you know? Um, and then I walk in the countryside on my, on my own for hours on end. So any new friends? <laughs> it sounds, it sounds <laughs> idyllic. It sounds yeah. idyllic, so it does. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i wish i had that sort of life would <laughs> be great yeah it's been like like i was recently on a residency and i chose a residency in a city i was in belgrade for a month to like finish a book because like when i'm getting close to the end i want i'll be working on my book like 12 hours a day seven days a week for like a whole month to you know that i like to work at that pace and when you're in the countryside if you take a break you're just like in your own brain again still and it doesn't really whereas in Belgrade I could like you know work six till ten in the morning and then I could go to an art gallery for a couple of hours I could come back do another four hours and I could go for a walk in the park I could come back and then I could take a walk around the city because it was things like street lights which I don't have here and things to do which I don't have here you know <laughs> so it is it's really good like for the all the marathon of writing but when I need an intense sprint like that like you know, I come ship out your way, you know, I'll go to cities and, uh, you know, get, get the, um, soak up the life and it helps me like, yeah, escape my brain for a while. And we all need to do that, right? Absolutely. That's true. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, Elizabeth, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation that brought us all the way from Brambley Hedge to Belgrade. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> thanks so much for having me so I'm not going to be listening back because I'll just be mortified going oh god what did I say that for <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a shame because it's a fantastic episode and thank you Elizabeth again for your your wisdom and and your insights uh, and your humor it's all been great fun we really had a great time and uh, yeah so thank you that's thank the you end of the episode for today but uh, We'll be back soon with another another guest episode. Um, but for now, we'll just say a great big thank you to Elizabeth Rosemary, E.R. Murray. Um, check out her books. They're fantastic. Um, and uh, thanks very much to Susan. And thanks very much to all you guys for listening. Um, and we'll see you soon with another Story Shaped podcast. So it's bye-bye from me. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Story Shaped with Susan Cahill and Sinead O'Hart. Follow us on Twitter at StoryShapedPod and don't forget to subscribe on the streaming service of your choice so that you never miss an episode. Music by Tony Betts. <laughs>